Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Cod Cabin, the one and only Massachusetts politics podcast, where we are 25 away days, days away, excuse me, from the primary. I'm Adam Bass, and joining me today is Logan Rabe, and we're continuing our stories on the lieutenant governor candidates running for the position. Today, we have Dr. Tammy Govea, who is running, uh, who is running as the lieutenant governor candidate, excuse me, Dr. Tammy Govea. Guvea, who is running as a candidate for lieutenant governor. She is a representative from Acton, Massachusetts, and we'd like to welcome her to the show. Welcome. Rose. All right. Well, did you hear us right? I right. did. You froze for a moment, but there you are. So it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. All right. So let's start off with the big question. Why run for lieutenant governor? This is a position that's really overseeing um, the executive council and being in charge of the Commonwealth in case, heaven forbid, the governor gets sick or passes away or steps down. So why run this posi- for this position? It seems like such a nothing role. Yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and to share with your listeners um, the tremendous opportunity and pivotal role that I see that the lieutenant governor can play and that quite honestly, voters should be demanding that we play. Uh, or that the person plays in addressing our state's uh, big complex issues. Uh, It might be helpful to just start with first and foremost, the thing that's in statute uh, for the Lieutenant Governor's position, you already highlighted one key aspect of course is uh, stepping in if the governor is out of uh, the state, whether uh, temporarily or permanently, but also uh, serving as the ex officio chair of the governor's council. And I have tremendous uh, interest in this uh, key piece of the function of the lieutenant governor. That is the only thing that's really in statute. And that is to address the uh, criminal legal system and the over-incarceration, particularly of black and brown men uh, in our state. And if we are serious about racial justice uh, and really being committed to that uh, moving forward as a state, then we need to start appointing different types of judges, uh, different folks to the parole board, ones who are more open to clemency hearings, one that, uh, you know, folks who are uh, understanding of the of the impact that uh, intergenerational poverty, structural racism, and childhood trauma have on folks becoming involved in the criminal legal system. So as a doctor of public health, as a social worker, uh, as an activist and someone who has worked in this space for 25 years, I do think it's important that we appoint judges that reflect these values and also uh, reflect the diversity of the state of Massachusetts and also making sure that the judges we are appointing are not going to further restrict uh, civil rights and reproductive justice. Besides that, what I see is an opportunity to lead from behind the scenes and to get really down deep into identifying the root causes of some of the big issues that we're facing. So I wanna form five working groups. We can get into the details of those if you'd like, Uh, but we have complex issues that need someone at the executive level who is really paying attention to these in a deeper way. It's not part of their regular daily responsibilities, but taking on that charge and then you also mentioned, you know, this the other uh, role that the lieutenant governor uh, has started to play more and more with being a liaison to our municipalities. Again, that's not in statute; that's more just been um, by practice, and that's something that I do want to continue. But we need to have a lieutenant governor who can do both liaison with the municipalities 
and get to the root causes and be proactive around the issues that we're facing. So that that raises the question, what sets you apart from the other two? Uh, Kim Driscoll, Salem, uh, mayor of Salem, excuse me, and Eric Lesser, um, senator from First Hampton and Hampshire District. Yeah, so my background as a social worker, as a doctor of public health, I also do have the policymaking experience. That's what really sets me apart. You know, throughout my career, I have really worked on tackling big issues, being proactive in identifying early on oh no, we have a problem here. We got to work together to identify and to uh, you know, drive solutions to address this problem. So I'll give you an example. In 2007, beginning of the opioid crisis, I noticed in the city of Lowell, which is where I'm from and where I grew up and where I was living in 2007, that we had a problem. And nobody was really working together to secure federal and state funding, to invest in young people and to increase access to treatment. So I worked with city leadership. I worked with the chief of police and the heads of the local health and public health organizations and business owners and teachers and young people. And together we formed the Lowell Roundtable on substance abuse prevention and secured millions of dollars um, you know, to address the opioid crisis, which we know has gone unabated and has gotten worse because of um, the greed of the Sackler family and really continuing to push uh, OxyContin and its use and lying about the addictive properties of their product. Uh, but be it as it may, I got to work as a private citizen in my volunteer time uh, to address the issue that I saw in a proactive manner. That's the kind of leadership we need in the corner office, someone who will notice that things aren't quite right. And if we don't work together to start to get a handle on it, things could get a lot worse. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Logan for his questions. Great. Hi, Logan. Great. Hi. Thanks for coming on. Um, as you mentioned, uh, there are some big issues in the Commonwealth, and a lot of tackling that means going through the state legislature, getting laws passed. And as you said recently, in our most recent session, we got some good laws passed with uh, protecting reproductive care and other things, but there was a lot that was left out. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been a lot of calls for many people to reform uh, the state legislature to get more for it to be more productive. Uh, what, is, what are your plans to improve the functionality? Yeah, I mean, the Lieutenant Governor, we have to be honest and clear, doesn't really have any oversight uh, as to how the uh, legislature operates or doesn't operate. But the Lieutenant Governor will have the ear of the governor to try to drive forward uh, key policies. You know, we didn't pass the Healthy Youth Act. We didn't pass um, wage theft. We didn't pass living wage. We didn't pass housing, uh, which we know we are facing a major housing crisis. So as the Lieutenant Governor, I will have the ear of the governor to work with her to push uh, some of these policies forward. But then also the other part that's really, really important on the executive side is that when the legislature does pass policies and does, you know, invest in programs through the budget process, it's the executive role. It's the governor and the lieutenant governor that really oversees how those policies get implemented. So when it comes to reproductive justice, for example, and reproductive rights and the legislation that was just signed into law not that long ago, we need to make sure as it gets rolled out that all college students and all college campuses really do have access to medication abortion and that we're looking at where are those vending machines located and are they 
equitably accessed um, by by residents because the goal is that they will also be you know hopefully open uh, to other folks as well or making sure that um, the protections that we put in place for healthcare providers and social workers that those protections are understood and that there really is enforcement around those kinds of protections. So that's the role that I see for uh, the Lieutenant Governor and the Governor to make sure that we're really implementing policies and that we're doing it equitably and we're doing it um, in the most effective and comprehensive way possible. Great, and staying on the topic of reproductive healthcare, uh, obviously we have in, this, in the Commonwealth passed some laws recently, but is there more that you think could be done to protect access? Yeah, I mean, we have these uh, crisis centers. I think there is some legislation that we need to take a look at to make sure that there uh, isn't uh, manipula manipulation of folks who are seeking services and seeking support um, if they do become pregnant or just trying to access contraceptive services. So I think there's some, some truth in advertising sort of um, perhaps legislation that we might need to take a look at uh, to make sure that there is true access. We also need to make sure that we are expanding services. There are uh, deserts in parts of the Commonwealth, like on the Cape and in Western Mass, that don't just simply just don't have enough uh, providers. And so making sure that we are looking for ways to increase access uh, with locally based services so folks don't have to travel far to get the services that they need and that they deserve, quite frankly. Great, well, I'll pass it back to Adam. Great. Thanks, Lo Thanks Logan. Um, I wanna go back to a minute about diversity. Massachusetts as a whole, uh, to be perfectly blunt, we're, we're a very lily white state. Uh, we are majority white here. Um, you represent now Acton, also relatively white, and you talk about uh, how ju uh, judges need to be also diverse. But what about representatives in the state house and the Senate? Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm if I'm remembering correct, there's only one African American uh senator in the state house right now, and that's um Senator Chang Diaz, and Lydia Edwards as well. Lydia Edwards, excuse yeah. me, yep. two. Um, regardless, yes. there seems to be a lack of diversity there, and do you think that's a problem as, as a representative? And if so, how do you encourage more people of color to run if you want to, if you say you want to represent more people? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have supported candidates of color and, and really been a sounding board for folks who are uh, looking at running for office. Um, we don't have representation that reflects the diversity of our state as a whole, whether you're talking about women, you're talking about LGBTQ, folks from uh, working class backgrounds, as well as uh, people who are immigrants. Um, and as you've already just noted, people of color. So our legislature has not yet uh, achieved true uh, representativeness uh, in who is getting elected into office. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Massachusetts is one of the harder states to uh, pose a primary challenge um, in and um, you know, elections can be pretty expensive. We don't have uh, child care as an option for um, child care expenses, which could encourage more women of color who have 
perhaps children at home to also run for office. So there's more for folks to do when it comes to the legislature. And even with you know our, our um, statewide candidates and our statewide elections, we do have a few uh, women of color who are running who are phenomenally talented. And I think we'll, uh, you know, I, I'm not here to say who I'm supporting or not supporting in that race, but we have to acknowledge the fact that there are more women running for statewide office than have ever been run, have ever run before. And that the the folks who are running do reflect more of the diversity. It's moving in the right direction. But the fact remains, we've had only a little over 200 women serve in the legislature and over 20,000 men in the history of the Massachusetts legislature. So we have a long way to go uh, in all different directions when it comes to representation. And, you know, I'll do what I can as as lieutenant governor uh, to be able to support uh, greater access through, you know, internships. We don't have paid internships in the legislature. That's a huge problem uh, when it comes to, you know, folks being able to get that kind of skill set and that and that base of support. There was also, speaking of working in the state legislature, there was also that um, discussion about unionizing the Senate, but I'm also curious about if there's any efforts in the House as well. This is sort of a topic that's not really talked about, especially yeah. when, you know, outlets like Boston Globe, um, Mass Live, we're focusing on that Senate unionization. But where do you, um, what do you know about House unionization? Should all branches of the state house be unionized? And wh wh what's your stance on it? Yeah, I've been very vocal in my support for the Senate staff moving forward with collective bargaining and negotiating um, around pay and benefits and work conditions. Um, if the House decides to move in that direction, I would support that as well. I'm not sure that there's what their efforts are going on right now, but the, the efforts are really focused much more um, on the state level. All right, uh, turning back to Logan on that one. Great. Uh, well, thanks, Adam. Um, sticking on the topic of democracy, um, I'm curious what your position is on if you should lower the voting age. Yes. And in fact, I filed legislation uh, called it has to do with creating healthy voting patterns and healthy voting behaviors. So in the town that, that I represent, the town of Concord, they uh, did have a home rule petition to lower the voting age. And I filed a companion piece of legislation that would allow any municipality at the local level that passes uh, at the local level, they want to allow young people uh, 16 and 17 to participate in local elections and participate in town meeting if if that is the design in the form of government at the local level that they would be able to do so. Great, and also on the topic of uh, home rule and municipal rights, um, there's currently the statewide prohibition on rent control. Yeah. Uh, do you support repealing that? I do, I fully support allowing municipalities that want to incorporate and put in place rent stabilization for them to be able to move forward with that. Um, I also support, you know, with housing, we got to get to the root of what's really driving the housing crisis. That is one of the working groups that I want to form as lieutenant governor, um, because we can't simply build our way out of the housing crisis. We need other kinds of measures in place, other legislation, tenant right of, you know, tenants first right of, um, of uh, refusal, uh, making sure that we are investing in and building more public housing, making sure that it's green, making sure that it's accessible for people with disabilities, for seniors, 
We don't know what's going to happen with long COVID and if that's going to increase disability rates over time. Um, so we have some major planning that we need to do in our state. Um, and the housing crisis is already here. And part of what's contributing to it in parts of the state is properties are getting gobbled up by private investors, sometimes being held for Airbnb, sometimes being held as just a place to park their money. Um, that means that if people aren't living in those properties, they're not going to the local downtown uh, to go buy a slice of pizza or get their haircut or go to a local shop. Uh, so it's really impacting our local community. So that is one of the things that I do want us to really take a close look at um, in that working group that I intend to form in the first 100 days of, of serving as Lieutenant Governor. That's good to hear. Housing is definitely one of the top issues for a lot of people yeah. in the Commonwealth right now. Huge, huge issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll pass it back to Adam for his yeah. question. Let's continue on housing for a minute because um, in a recent bill that was signed, H5060, this is the climate bill, um, Governor Baker expressed uh, as Commonwealth Magazine puts it, Agita, over the 10 communities who are thinking about uh, using non-fossil fuel materials to build and engineer housing. Um, the reason he said that is because of the fact that he says that it doesn't fix the housing problem. Uh, do you agree with this statement as someone who seems very interested in housing, or do you disagree with that statement, and why? Um, I, I I don't think it's going to impact the building of housing, particularly in these in these ten communities. And it would be foolish of us to allow the building of properties, uh, buildings, whether it's for housing or for um, uh, retail use, um, to build it without an eye towards the fact that we have the climate crisis that is already here. And in 15, 20 years, those properties will need to be retrofitted. And that's gonna be much more expensive and more disruptive to the people who either live in those buildings or work in those buildings. So it just makes good sense to allow these 10 communities that have already raised their hands. I have two of them that I represent, Acton and Concord, um, that really do wanna move forward. They've already you know, passed at the local level that they want to require um, buildings to be all electric. And so I, I, I think that there's just a lot with um, Governor Baker really listening to the ear of developers and the real estate uh, industry. And we have to be really careful with any candidate that's getting the backing and support of uh, private developers because they have really been, and Brown University did a study on this, they are at the top of blocking uh, climate legislation in the state of Massachusetts. So we really have to be paying attention to uh, any of those kinds of influences that are, are um, you know, present in our elections here in Massachusetts. And we've seen the impact on how Governor Baker thinks about legislation. That's why he vetoed the roadmap bill that we passed into law last session. Um, he vetoed it four times because it had my legislation on the net zero stretch energy code in it. Again, because developers and real estate moguls were really pushing against it. And to further uh, talk about electrification in Massachusetts, um, Governor Baker sent back an amendment to the transportation bill uh, I know you're not um, Representative Truss or Senator Crichton on this one, but it was mentioning the battery-powered electrification of the MBTA instead of doing um, power lines. And when when I saw that, I got very confused because we're not an importing state of batteries. We're not an exporting state of batteries. Um, and, you know, the MBTA, everyone talks about it now, but as someone who has an MBTA community uh, conquered, 
Um, what's your take on how a lieutenant governor should address or should think about the MBTA? And, and not just saying, oh, let's fix it. No, I mean, what I'm asking is, lieutenant governor, what would you do? Or, or what would you think of it as? It's Excuse how me. I it's how I approach the the big issues that we're facing: housing, childcare, mental health, climate change, and COVID response. We have to be much more proactive than we have ever been before with these big five issues. And now, of course, we are here. The there's a sense of urgency with the transportation system. But at, to your point, we are only really focused on um, the T, and sometimes a little bit with the commuter lines. There's a whole state that needs to be covered, right? We need to build the east-west rail. We need to get the north-south rail link done. Cape Cod is Cape Cod residents are also advocating to have more uh, commuter access, um, which we already do have a commuter uh, a rail line that runs very infrequently. The we, South Wire. No, um, maybe that's what it's called. I forget what it's called. Cape Flyer, excuse me. Yeah, the Cape Flyer, the Cape Flyer. Um, so we need to make sure that we are fully connecting our state. We can't expect that everybody is going to be able to work or live in Boston or the greater Boston area. I think, again, that is also foolish thinking. We really need to be looking at investing across the whole state. That is why I support the expansion of these rail lines and also supporting our RTAs and making the T and our RTAs fare free without means testing. This will encourage people to get out of cars, get on the MBTA. First, we have to fix the MBTA and rebuild trust, of course. That is the urgent need first and foremost. But once we get that squared away, and that's how that's the role I do want to play as Lieutenant Governor, saying we need these, we need to get the fair share passed, we need to get that fully implemented and make sure that we are having a geographic equity when we're investing in our transit system. I know you want to jump in, but I wanted to get that last No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you actually answered my question because of the fact that I've seen politicians, I've heard politicians saying, oh, let's do fair free. But at the same time, it's you need a functioning train system. Um, you, you can't, fair free cannot be the only answer to fixing it. You have to fix the trains first. Absolutely, we have to fix it first. And it's because we haven't been making uh, consistent investments. We haven't been having an eye towards the future and what the future needs would be. It's it's just been mind boggling that we haven't made the repairs that have needed to be made and made the upgrades that needed to be made. And I, you know, I think there's more management and oversight that we need of the MBTA. Um, and that that's the case for a lot of different systems where, uh, you know, we have either quasi private or, you know, there's not really investing in uh, certain things as public goods. Transportation is top of mind with that. Mm -hmm. uh, throwing back to Logan one more time before we wrap this up. Uh, Logan, you're gone. Yeah, well, we are missing a couple of our co-hosts today. So I'd like to ask you. Sure. Um, so first of all, sports betting. We've asked both the other lieutenant governor candidates. Now it's been legalized in most cases. Uh, what is your opinion on the new law? And do you think it was right for the legislature to prioritize that over uh, other priorities? I don't think it was right for the legislature to prioritize that over for instance, the economic development package and tax relief or housing. Um, it, I know that the writing has been on the wall uh, for this legislation for a number of years. Um, you know, many other states already have sports betting. Uh, I did vote for it, but I want us to get back into session uh, after we get the report back from the auditor on how much money we really have and what the trigger point is for that 1986 law to give tax relief back. 
Um, but we have to get back into session. We got to pass tax relief for seniors, for people with uh, dependents, as well as, you know, for folks who are renters. Um, we need to get money back into people's pockets. I myself have been financially insecure. Uh, I've had a negative bank balance more uh, times than I care to admit uh, as a single parent. I've also needed to borrow money to put gas in my car. So the stress and the worry and the fear that so many of our residents have right now requires us to address this with a sense of urgency. So I want us to get back into session to address some of those. I already covered other bills that I wish we had gotten done, like the Healthy Youth Act, um, the, the wage theft bill. If we pass that, that would be a billion dollars back into the pockets of hardworking folks right here in the state of Massachusetts. It would create more jobs. It would increase taxes coming back into the state, and it would also support our local economies. Great. And moving away from politics, or maybe not, depending how you choose to answer, um, who would you say is your greatest inspiration in life? Oh, my greatest inspiration. Um, I would say my grandfather. Yeah, um, he was in the Carpenters Union. Uh, Real, uh, I grew up in the city of Lowell, a lot of uh, grit uh, that goes into the upbringing that he had. And um, he also um, struggled with alcoholism and, um, you know, was able to achieve recovery before passing away from lung cancer due to a lifetime of uh, smoking unfiltered uh, cigarettes. So I, I think the work that I do as a social worker um, someone who's been advocating for the health, the well-being, and the dignity of our residents and really putting that first and foremost and making sure that people have access to the treatment that they need and deserve really comes from, um, you know, I'm the oldest grandchild on my mom's side of the family. So I was closest to him out of all of my, out of my sister and my cousin. So I would say my grandfather. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a good story. Um, I'll pass it back to Adam. Well, one, more, one more question for you, and this is something interesting. It's very likely that Maura Healy, Attorney General Maura Healy, will be the nominee for governor and maybe even uh, the governor-elect. What's one thing you hope to hear more from her if you are elected as lieutenant governor? Um, that's a good one. I want to know her philosophy on leadership. And the reason why I want to know that is, as you know, I serve in the House of Representatives. I have not voted for um, a Speaker of the House because I haven't seen the kind of leadership that I am looking for as a member and that I think the residents um, and the people of the state of Massachusetts deserve. I believe that leaders create the conditions for others to succeed. It's, again, why I focus on the areas of investment that I'm calling for. Um, and I would love to know, is she going to be more of a bureaucratic type, uh, like a baker um, or, you know, other folks who have served in executive um, positions, they tend to be much more bureaucratic and managerial and not the kind of visionaries that the moment we're in calls for. So I would hope that she would see herself as uh, a little bit more visionary with uh, the, the healthy dose of uh, management that you need in these kind of top positions. And I, I believe that that's the kind of uh, perspective that I bring um, to the position as Lieutenant Governor as well. Dr. Govea, thank you for joining us once again on the Collie Cabin. Thank you all for listening to our little segments on Lieutenant Governor. 
it's been a it's been a fun ride. Hopefully, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But uh, Logan, also thank you for joining us as well. Great being here. I'm Adam Bass. Thank you all for listening to the Cod Cabin. <laughs>